Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Santo Derisi, welcome to ATV Talk, man. I don't know exactly how long it's been since I've seen you, but it's been a long time. Man, it's been a very long time. I'd say that for sure. I think I had blonde hair last time I saw you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, did, I didn't have long hair or any of that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, we were younger, a lot younger. Yeah, a, a lot. <laughs> I'm 45 now, so, I, you know, geez, it's been, I think my last full season was 2010. It's, it's been a long time. So you've been off the machine for 13 years? 13 years. Wow. I, just to ask how how do you how do you deal with that and and does it affect you when you're going to the races and you're helping some of these guys yeah you know it really does um because i uh you know we'll go to the race and stuff and it'll be a beautiful day and you know we'll go out walking around and stuff and look at the track and the track conditions are like prime you know and the weather's nice and man it just eats at me just you know wanting to be out there and back racing and competing again you know and it it, it makes it hard but then you know when you you know you do it for a living and and do it for all these other people that are out there winning and and doing well you know it kind of helps build that void uh fill that void just a little bit you know it kind of when they win, it kind of makes me feel like I won, you know, but it's still not the same as me being back on the track, but it, it is hard. Yeah. I, I don't think that once you've been a racer and I was never a pro- professional, like at your level, but, but once you've been a racer and you've stopped, um, there's no substitute for being on the machine. No, I, I tried and I'm not going to lie. I tried, uh, I bought a super sport, uh, street bike and tried a little bit of that and, you know, been doing some mountain biking and stuff like that, you know, and man, it's just, it's so hard. Like I've tried so many different things to fill that void of me racing and I can't, I just can't figure it out. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing replaces that. And I don't think it, anything ever will. You know, I was, I was talking to Doug Eichner cause he went from ATVs to UTVs and right, right before he stopped racing altogether, he told me, he says, yeah, there's, there's just no substitute. He says the wow. UTVs, I says, I'll go race a great race. I can win the race and I'm unfulfilled. Right. You know, there's nothing, nothing like it. And once you've, once you've stepped away, you can't go back. 
No, you can't. You know, I quit and I I came back and I raced a few races here or there locally, you know, and I finished really well and stuff. But to ever go back and and try to train and try to race pro or even anything even close to pro a class. I mean, any of that at this point in my life, there's I know there's no way like I could never get to that level again ever in my lifetime. And, and you know, that's man's tough. It's, it's hard to accept that. It is. It is. Even at my level, you know, I'm so far off the pace and I don't want to hit the jumps and I don't want to. There's just so many things that I don't want to do. Yeah, I, I'm dealing with a physical injury as well that I never that I never took care of correctly, which is my own fault. So, kids, right. if you're listening to this, go to the doctor when you get hurt, get taken oh. care of, do it right. You yep. know, when the doctor says don't ride, don't ride, uh, you know, do, do all the things you're supposed to do, because right. when you get older. You want to still be able to do them. Absolutely. I agree with that. I feel yeah. a lot more of it now than I used to. That's for sure. Well, I, I fell off in Idaho in, I want to say Oh two. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ride in France two weeks after the Idaho race so bad that I didn't go to the doctor and get my dislocated shoulder checked out well it turns out it wasn't dislocated it was broken oh and i never well i never went to the it took me 10 years to go to the doctor right and uh yeah they said well yeah you know when you broke your shoulder and i go dude i never broke my shoulder right yeah you did because it's right here in the picture and i'm like well you know oops Oh yeah. That was me. I was the same way in about 97 or 98, I was racing motocross on a, on my dirt bike. And I, I would do a lot of cross training and, and racing and stuff. And, uh, I went to a whoop section and, and lost it, hyperextended my knee and went to the doctor and, you know, we were mid season, you know, racing GNCC at that time too. And, you know, I was in the points and stuff. And, uh, so we, uh, I went to the doctor and he, he grabs my leg and he, he, pulls it apart and he's like oh yeah he's like yep you have torn stuff in there and we need to do surgery and i'm like okay well my first question to him was how long am i going to be out for and he's like oh minimum six months and i'm like yeah probably not going to happen so i walked out the door at that point went home let it heal just for a little bit started you know working out trying to do some strength training on my leg and and got it back to feeling good again and went back to racing and now still to this day it hurts and i went to the doctor i don't know it was probably six eight months ago and let a specialist look at and he's like oh yeah he's like you got a torn pcl and he's like you need to go to charlotte for that he's like this is out of my league he's like you need to go there and and get it looked at and you're probably gonna have to have surgery and i'm like so i put it back to the back of my mind again i've just been kind of dealing with it but it's something probably eventually i need to get it fixed because it is my leg and one day probably not gonna be able to walk if i don't do something about it well hey i uh you know i have this shoulder deal and they said they want to replace it Mm. and the replacement means no more bicycles no more motorcycles no more atvs no more weights um and i asked the guy says so what kind of life do you have he goes well you won't have any pain and i go you know if you got a little bit of pain in your life means you're alive right and and he goes, well, when you can't handle it five out of seven days a week, you come back and see me and I'll fix you. Right. And I, I said, know. well, I, I, 
I can handle it five out of seven days. So we're good. Yeah. Same. <laughs> it's we're those two days. Way. It's those two days a week, usually when I'm not working, that it right. bothers me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. So so let's get back on the Santo train in here. Um, how did all of this ATV racing come about for you? Man, so I know I was like 16 years old. Um, a couple of my buddies, one of my guys, one of my friends, Noel Cook, he uh he used to race GNCC as well. And uh my brother, he bought an old Kawasaki, I think it was like a 92 or something Kawasaki Mojave and brought it home one day. And I was in you know high school and he brought it home and I started uh I started riding it, you know, and I didn't have a four, I didn't own a four at the time. And I started riding that and we was on summer break for school and man, I, I rode that thing every day, every day. I mean, rode and rode and rode. And I was like, gosh, I love it. And I was talking to my dad and trying to talk him into let me race. And he was so against it. And then um Noel rode with me a little bit. He's like, man, you're riding really good. He's like, we really need to try to get your dad talked into letting you race. And so uh he started working on dad a little bit, you know, and uh we started, I mean, we were begging and everything. And finally, dad was like, okay, well, you know, we'll we'll try it. And uh went to uh went to uh actually we ended up I ended up getting so I rode at Mojave for a while and then uh I talked my, again, I don't know how we pulled all this off. Um, ended up getting uh, a PR and uh, taught my dad into, into let me race. So we went to midi tear scrambles right here. Just a local series here. You know, went to a mid East um, in Hickory race. My first race in like the beginners, it was called trail riders class at, back then. And uh, I raced it. And I finished third in class and I was like, man, this is fun. And after that first race, my dad got hooked and he's like, man, this is really cool too. And man, it kind of went from there. And my dad was all in, my mom was all in. And I mean, we were just, we went from like nothing to racing like crazy. And we did, um, I did the mid East all of 93, all of 94. And then 95, we finally talked that into going national racing. So we went to, uh, GNCC racing in 95 and first round race there was in Ocala, Florida. And I'll never forget it, man. It was first race I ever done first national, whatever. And, you know, I ran open B class. And at that time, actually we ended up, I got a Banshee. I had a Banshee was riding and man, I'm going to tell you what I raced that race. And I, I'm, I was on the track. I think my finish time was right at three hours and boy, I was dead. I remember coming in off the track and actually my first national, I finished um, second. I got second in open B was like literally seconds off the leader. And, but I was about to die when I finished, like I laid out, it was hot cause it was down in Florida and I was toast. And that's, it kind of all started from there and it just went crazy. We went nuts for years on that. How long did it take you to get off that Banshee? God, you know, people were telling me too. They were like, you're a little guy. You don't need to be riding the Yamaha Banshee. That's a lot of bike for you. You need to be riding the 250R. You need to be. And, you know, the whole time I still had that 88 250R we bought. And um, I cannot, to, to be honest with you, without looking back, I can't remember what year, like when I switched. I kept the 88 forever. And there was a race, you know, like we were struggling. Um, 
we're really struggling to get good finishes. And uh, my Banshee was, we had some issue, mechanical issues, and it was right before national. And I, I was to the point I had no choice. I'm like, okay, I'm either going to sit this race out or I'm going to ride the, the Honda 250. We're like, well, you know, we're going to ride the 250. Brought the 250 out, and I remember, I think it was Hard Rock, um, GNCC, I rode it. Pulled it out. I didn't. Even, I rode like a little bit at our property here before we went to the race, just kind of get back used to it again. Went to the race and had like the best finish all year, like that I had from the start of the season till I rode the 250 that day. I rode the 250 and I'm like, damn, this thing is, this is it. I'm like, I can't believe I'm not, I've been riding a Banshee. I really need to be on the Honda. And so I finished the season out on Honda and like all the finishes after that was like better, better, better. So after that, man, we just, we, we started building two fifties and it kind of went, we went Honda after that for a while. And, you know, we had a Lager Banshee. I built a full um, Lager Protrax Banshee, had all the bells and whistles with the, you know, as much of the Honda geometry we can get on it and, it's still just with the weight, my body size being small, the 250 just really fit me so much better. And that's when my career got, you know, I did a lot better in my career is when we switched over. Yep, I can, I can totally see it. Uh, Coonley was the only one that I can ever remember riding a Banshee that ever had success. Yeah, yeah, he had a lot of good success. He was fast on that. He was He was a good rider on that thing. But he wasn't the, a little bitty guy either, was he? No, he wasn't. He was a pretty good sized dude, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I just remember the the stories. I only got to meet him once, you know. Uh, right. But you still we talked to Bob, and Bob would tell you all about it, and and this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, it was it was pretty awesome. But <clears throat> no, I I would I would have advised you to get off that thing on the in the in the woods as well because back then it was really woods racing it was tight, it was a tight lot. technical bushes yeah yeah and a banshee was just so heavy the just the weight difference was unreal i mean i we have a, a motocross track down here on our property that i always practiced that and stuff and you know I was used to hitting like all my doubles and and jumps and stuff like that on the banshee and then I would take the 250 out and I would literally like the first couple laps, I would over jump everything because the bike was that much lighter and you could feel the difference in the weight. So I would over jump. I have to reframe my thoughts on, you know, every jump that I hit, you know, my, my speed, entry speed and all that kind of stuff, because I was over jumping things. So this, the weight difference was so much different on that thing. Yeah. But they sure do go fast, don't they? Oh yeah, that they did. <laughs> that they did. And I do have to add, you know, my my career definitely took a really big jump. Um, you guys stepped in and and helped my program a lot. You know, uh, you and Lauren picked me up, and you know, I started running you guys' motors, and you guys helped me with a lot of stuff throughout my career. And you know that, uh, you know, we had a lot of success there uh, towards the end of the two hundred and fifty R days before they forced us to go to the four strokes. You know, so I definitely wanted to add that you guys have been, you know a really big part of my, my career there on the two fifties. No, we appreciate that. I mean, I remember the, the Lobos and everybody would be building them. And, um, I don't think that you came out to the shop. I didn't. Yeah. But, uh, the, the pay, uh, you know, page, uh, the, the pages yep. did and, and, uh, Matt did and Jay Goble did. Yep. Um, 
you know, we had quite a few of you guys roll through there. <clears throat> we had a empty unit across from where we had ours. And at that time, um, Lauren would make a deal with the landlord and they would go in there and just start making piles. And they put a name tag or a, or a piece of cardboard with a name and, you know, they would just keep adding to the piles, you know, of what was going to get shipped or, or what was going to get picked up by everybody uh, for the right. year. And then it would all, you know, obviously uh, you, your stuff either got brought to you or shipped. Right. You know, and, and it, it was uh, always a huge undertaking um, how this all went down. Wow. I wish we had phone, cell phones back then. Because there's just so much that that they that people don't grasp or understand of actually what the industry was like back then. I mean, it was all I know. It, there was no factories. It was all self-supported, and the support you got was actually huge. Oh, I know. It's changed a lot throughout the years. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, now you're an independent, and you have your own you have your own company, and your sponsor your own guys. Um, and you have a you have a little more feel and a little more understanding some of the stuff Lauren went through, right? Oh, I, that I do, that I do for sure. When you switched to the four strokes, what did you what did you switch to? Um, uh, so in two thousand four is when they made a switch. Um, it was a GNCC rule that we had to ride four strokes. The pros did, and um, the at the beginning of the season, the only thing that was out was the the Yamaha. There was the 2004 Yamaha YFC 450. So I started the season out on that um, and rode that. And then when the Honda came out, I bought one of those as well, and um, you know, piddled with it a little bit on the backside. You know, while we were racing the Yamaha, and then I think it was about three quarters of the way through the season. I just felt better on the, on the Honda and, you know, about three quarters of the way through the season, I switched if I remember correctly. And I finished the season out on the Honda. Honda's has, has the TRX 450 ever won the GNCC title? I'm trying to think. Oh. I don't think so because it, it, it goes, uh, very Hawk balance forage. Fowler yeah. and they were all uh either Suzuki's or Yamaha's uh you know Hawk rode a 250R right yeah because I, I guess since Barry Hawk won I think everything's been Yamaha ever since if I remember correctly I don't even know is a Honda ever has a Honda won because you know Borch Borch rode a Honda for a while yeah but all of his titles were on Suzuki yeah yeah. He had the yes, thing I, wired in. He had that Suzuki dial, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did for sure. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's on Yamaha now. Um, did you stay on the Honda platform your whole your whole rest of your career? I did. I did. I stayed Honda the whole rest of the career. Did you stay on the 0405 version or did you ever switch to the 06 up? I switched to the 06 up. We were running 24 volt, you know, on it and with the electric start. And it just, again, it, it fit me better. For some reason, it felt lighter um, and, and steered a little easier to me, I thought. 
you know, and, and when I quit was when pretty much when the fuel injected Yamaha's came out. So I never really got to race one of those much. Um, you know, we built quite a bit of them, you know, through the shop, you know, in, in these past years, but, um, I never really got to race one much. Well, do you get to, do you do some of the test riding on them or do you have the riders do it? Mostly the riders. I, I, you know, I do every now and again, but it's, it's been quite a while since I've really tested anything much, you know, myself. Um, I really don't have time much anymore. Usually I'm in the, you know, when the shop building motors and suspension and stuff like that. So. Right. Really don't have that much time. Was the transition from racer to owning the business a, a struggle? yeah kind of again i because you know if you would ask me years ago i would have told you that i would have told you that i was going to race until i physically couldn't anymore i mean racing was always my passion and i loved it and you know i really thought that i was going to race well up in my 50s and and 60s possibly um because i just thought i was going to do it for a very long time but you know, and like I said, in 2010, um, you know, business was growing and, you know, we just, it was getting to be too much. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't focus on training and running the business and being good at both of them at the same time, you know, and then I was, you know, at the time, 2010, I mean, I had, uh, I had my kids, I had two kids at that time and, and stuff like that. So it was just really hard to juggle, you know, all of that together. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard to step down from racing. It was, it was very hard, but I knew deep down that it was a decision that I had to make. Um, unfortunately. How did your wife take it when, uh, when you quit? I mean, she was bummed too, just because, I mean, she was a man. I, you know, I, I see a lot of people and, you know, their wives hate it. And I, you know, I have, I have guys that, that, that come to the shop or they'll call me and they'll spend all this money on their stuff. And they're like, Hey, if you see my wife, don't, don't tell her what I spent or don't, you know, like they're <laughs> hiding it from her. And, you know, my wife was always the supportive one. Like, you know, we would go down to the test track and she was the one there yelling at me that, you know, my lap times got to get quicker. And she's, she's, you know, clicking the stopwatch every lap, seeing what the lap times are and, and, pushing me and she you know the days that i i didn't feel like going to practice she's like hey you got sponsors and and you got people out there that's pulling for you you got to get your ass out there and 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 practice because that's the only way you're going to get better so she was always a supportive one and the one that was always pushing me hard so needless to say she didn't take it very well either but she knew we both talked about it and she knew that in order for the business to grow and to get it to where we needed it to be it was a step that we, we had to take. So it was tough. Well, yeah, it is. Um, I want to ask you some questions about bike setup, if you don't mind, that's a little off topic, but when you're developing a a woods machine, you got to figure I come from the West coast rocks, dust, you know, that's, that's our thing. Um, you guys spend a lot of time in the mud. And with the modern Yamaha, um, I've seen some after race photos. Uh, Josh Merritt's posted them. Some other guys have, and their filters are dry. How do you keep the filter 
still getting air and keep all the muck off of it. Well, I mean, well, we, we don't run air box lids. Um, just like I'm sure you guys don't as well. Um, Mm -hmm. but we'll run, usually we'll run like a twin air or a pro design air, good foam air filter. And then we'll run like an outerwear cover over the filter. And then where the air box lid would go, we have a thin, like probably a two inch thick piece of like coarse. It's actually was originally developed for like skid plate foam. And, um, we use that on the top of the air box where the air fill or the air lid air box lid would go. And we just put a light coat of uh, air filter spray on oil on the very top of it. And man, I, I'm going to tell you, we've ran some nasty dusty races and we've ran some nasty muddy races. And usually nine times out of the 10, after we pull the bike apart and we pull the, you know, the, the, the foam off and the filter off. And we look at everything. The filters usually almost looks like we just oiled it and put it on. And you know, as well, I do building all these motors. I mean, the money in these four strokes are in the head, you know, with valves and valve springs and all that stuff, valves, you know, the copper seats and all that stuff. So, I mean, you know, you're spending, you know, two, three, four, $5,000 on a head, whatever, you know, the life of that motor is that intake system. And so we focus on that because, I mean, hell, like I said, we build motors, you guys build motors. You, I mean, that's the life of it. You got to make it work. And that's, we spend a lot of time trying to figure that out and it works really good. And that's yeah, how the, we do it. The consumers that don't race need to listen to this because they're wondering why they're having uh, engine issues on newer machines. Well, you got to keep the dirt out of them. Just because it's a four-stroke yeah. doesn't mean you can't. You don't have to clean the air filter, right? And you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it a thousand times. Bike comes in, everything's clean on it, and then you pull the air box in, and the filter is just full of mud, full of dirt. And it's like, dude, all right, there's no way your engine's good if your filter looks like this. And nine times out of ten, yeah. they're not. No, and then and they're pissed. Yep. You know, it could, I mean, you get guys with a freaking. 2019 YFC 450R, and they're having to do a complete engine rebuild because they well, let the filter be dirty. You know, I and, know. and I just look at them and go, "I wasn't the guy maintaining it. You were. <laughs> Don't be mad at yeah. me." No, and that's the nice thing. I mean, we do. You know, so we do a lot of race preps for customers. So we have customers that they they don't want to touch their machine. They want to show up at the race. And they want to race it. They don't want to have to worry about working on it, turning bolts and wrenches, and they don't want to mess with it. And so we, that's, that's, they pay us to maintain their bike. We wash them, we prep them, get them everything ready. We bring it to the race. They show up, they race it, get it all nasty, dirty, and hand it back to us. And here, here you go, get it ready for the next round. But, you know, that's the beauty of it is, is it gets, you know, we'll build the bike, we'll maintain the bike all season. Well, guess what? We have very minimal problems because, we don't one we we don't want to have to have time to be real building our motors. We want to just be able to prep it and go to the next round. So we're making sure the filters are all nice. We got a good intake set up, you know, and and a good maintenance program that we do on these things. So I mean, it's it's cut and dry. You show up, race, it's good to go. You don't have to worry about nothing. We're not having to rebuild motors constantly throughout the season because we're taking care of it. So it's all maintained pr- properly. So, you know, people want to pay for that. 
I think it's it's the best way to do it, in my opinion. If you're going to to have a rider or a racer or a customer like that, dude, I'll take it home and I'll bring it. Yep. And you just, yep. you know, I'll run the credit card before I leave. You know, and there's yeah, you got to you, you got to explain them. If it breaks, it breaks. I mean, there's there, it doesn't mean that you're never going to have a failure. Right. But the failure rate on what we do is, is so minimal. I mean, and, and I've had customers that, that came to us that, that go to races and they're, they're sick of not finishing and breaking down. They're like, I'm spending all this money and spend all this time working on my bike. And then I go drive eight hours to a national and then I break down the first lap. Well, they're pissed. So then they come to us. They're like, here, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I want you to do it because you guys have a, a very good successful rate out of it. So we start doing it. Now, all of a sudden, they're finishing every race and they're happy. Yeah, I mean, they're spending more money because they're paying somebody else to do their prep instead of them doing it. But now they're going to the races, showing up and they're finishing. And now they can focus on their body, their preparation on their body and they're practicing at home. And all they do is show up at the race because the race bike's ready to go. They don't have to mess with it. So that's been really big for us. Yeah, when you were when you were starting out or early into your pro career, did you ever see that coming? No, that you would be would, prepping bikes for for racers. Oh, never would have thought that. Never. Yeah, that's. Nope. I, I really got to the point where when I dealt with people, I wanted to maintain the bike. I, you know, no, it's not going to your garage. It's coming to mine. Because right. I don't know what you're doing when I'm not there. Or if I'm going to drive to these events and be your guy at the races, I want to prep it. I want to know. Yeah. And I want to know that it's ready to go. Yeah. You know, I just, I just can't, I just can't go spend all that time and not know that it's right. Right. I know. I mean, that, that's what I loved. That's the way I love to do it because it's just, uh, it it gives you a better sense of how the weekend and the day is going to go when you've prepped it, you touch it, you know what to look for when it rolls off after practice. I mean, I know you guys right. don't have practice, but, right. but out here on the West coast you do. And right. uh, it, I mean, I just, I, I, I like that. that. That is just such a bitching way to do it. You know, prep them all, take them, load them all up, take them, you know, and then they, the guys just come and get them and go race them and bring them back. Yeah, I know. And it, it's been crazy, man. Like I said, we got a, we got a 40 foot enclosed trailer and it's full every single round. And, you know, at the last couple rounds of the GNCC this year, I had more people coming up to me and they're like, Hey, do you, you got spots available next year? Cause I want you to prep my stuff all year. And I'm like, I had people literally wanting to pay me in advance for the whole season for me to prep their bikes. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, I want your business and I want to be able to do it for you. But I mean, my trailer's full and you know, you can only, you know how it is. It's like in order to do everything correctly, you can only do so much, you right. know, and, and I, it's hard to tell those people no, but I had to, and I, I felt bad doing it, but you know, we were to the point it was going to be, you know, we were going to have to upgrade to a, a stacker or something bigger in order to do this. And then I have to look at it too, at the shop, you know, are we capable of prepping two, three, four more bikes? 
you know, and, and you get too many and then you know how it is, you know, your quality right. and all that stuff goes away. And I, I can't, I can't have that, you know? Yeah. Cause once you, once you lose that trust, it's over, it's over, you know, you lose it. You don't just lose it with one. You'll lose it with 50% of them. Right. Yeah. And you can't. No. And, and uh, I, I totally get it. You know, um, it's, it's, you got, you, you can't bite off more than you can chew. And it's so easy to do. It is. It's easy to say yes. And and that's part of the stuff in business that sometimes you have to learn to say no. It's hard as a business owner, but you know, sometimes you just have to say no. And I've been trying to teach myself that. Right. Right. So, Hey, when you were racing, what was your, where was your favorite place to race? You know, it, it was funny. Um, my best finishes was places like Rouse Creek and the Wisp, which were super gnarly, like this rocky ski slopes and stuff like that. And so for some reason, I always did good there, um, the technical stuff. But I also do like to – I liked, you know, especially on the four strokes, I liked it when it, this track started getting a little more open and letting it hang out. Um, and I always loved the motocross stuff, you know, and I always loved it when they would mix the moto in with the cross country because, you know, I always liked to jump and, and do some of that stuff. So, you know, I ran a few GNC uh, motocross nationals as well, but, you know, they were few and far between. You know, I, I could, I would normally finish in those races. I would finish like top five in the A class stuff back then. Um, but I never got to do it as much as I wanted to. You never ran uh, the pro motocross stuff at all? I never did. Not, not nationally, no. So when you went from, I mean, a lot of times when they say you're a pro, you're a pro. So I, you transitioned from riding. GNCC to GNC and you're in the pro class. Right. Yeah. They didn't make me run pro. I rode the A class though and, and, and got away with it. Like I said, now I, I would finish top five pretty, you know, normally pretty regularly there. Um, but again, I just, I didn't get to do it as much as I wanted to. Why do you think they took the motocross portion out of the cross country races now? I don't know. You know, every now and again, they'll throw some in it, but it's, it's very, very rare. And a lot of times they'll, they'll throw them in and they'll run it backwards, which I think is kind of crazy. It's like they'll run the moto track backwards sometimes and it makes it hard to jump stuff. And, you know, cause it's not, it don't flow that way, but I don't know. I don't know if it's for safety reasons. I, I really don't know. I'm not sure why they've done that. Well, the safety uh, rating for woods racing is pretty high, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean, I think most racing is safer than your recreational riding because you're focused, you're intent on what you're doing. And, um, you most know, yeah, full gear. Yeah. And, and, and be, being attentive to what you're doing is everything. When you're recreationally right. riding, sometimes you're screwing off with your buddies and you're not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Ha, that's just too funny. That is too funny. Um, did you ever get your your four strokes to work as good as the Lobos? Man, I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> the Lobo stuff is hard to beat. I, I'm going to tell you, the geometry and the way those bikes turned and the stuff that you could make those things do, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, the new 
I would like to know what the Lobo stuff would do with some of the knowledge that we have now. Like, you know, Lobo stuff was very advanced, you know, especially for its time. Um, I still, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that the, the four strokes turn or work quite as good as they did. How do you feel? I have mixed, I have mixed emotions because I feel that the success rate that we have, that I've had with the four strokes, because you figure I was a little at the, at the end of the Lobo time when I started really focusing on being a mechanic and, 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 you know, I built a bunch of the early stuff, but I was not as focused on being the race mechanic and doing the stuff that I did with the Lobos until closer to the end. And I really got focused on the four strokes. Right. And, and, and there again, I've spent most of my time with the Honda. Yeah. Um, and and the package that the package that we have to race desert and off road, I think is if you look at the guys racing Hondas on the West Coast, it's it's a real similar style package because it works so well. Right. And when we go to when we go to race best of the desert, we go to race score. I just don't think you're going to beat our package. I, it, it's just. Right it's that good. And uh, some yeah. people will argue with us and, and everything, but you know, um, Felipe Valdez down in, in, uh, Mexico, who builds a lot of the score bikes, um, you know, you set them next to each other. And if you didn't know who built it, you almost couldn't tell. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how close the packages are. And, um, just hours and hours spent uh, working and, and developing and, you know, breaking it and fixing it and breaking it right. and fixing it. Uh, the same way we learned on everything. Right. Um, but there again, I got the same shock guy. Right. I got the same suspension guy or the A-arm guy. You know, my my difference with with what Doug did for the Lobo chassis is I gusset or I have the gussets on my frames, on my Honda frames, different than he does. Right. Um, he's uh, has a lighter touch to it. Um, I my my frames are a little heavier and and a little little more gusseted because I just right. can't deal with the brakes. Right. Yeah. I understand. He, yeah, they break. Yeah, and he uh, he has a little lighter touch with them because he's getting them. Uh, well, you used to be able to get new frames all the time. Now you're you're not. So yeah. You know it, it, it's. I don't know if I've answered the question, but I'm pretty partial to that 450R package. It's just, you know, really yeah. good. It's hard for me because I had, I had so much, so much success on the Lobo, you know, because back like, like 2003, I was, you know, I was getting on the podium a couple times, and you know, I, I'll never forget they did an interview with Balance um, in a magazine, and they were like, you know, who's your most feared for 2004? Well, hell, I was one of the guys he listed, and I was like, wow, I was kind of flattered. I'm like, wow, okay, you know, and, yeah, I really felt strong. I was super confident on it, you know, and then in, in 03, that, you know, I had the best year I ever had, and then they're like, oh, we're going to – you guys have to run – they got a production rule now. you got to run a four-stroke next year. Hell, I, okay, here goes all my R&D, all my testing, all my 
practice time that was done on a roll design bike. Now all of a sudden I got switched to a four stroke. Now I was just like, oh hell, what's gonna happen here? And you know, we switched to the Yamaha. First round, we went to uh Texas. I finished fourth overall on the Yamaha. I was like, well, you know what? I missed the podium by I think it was like 13 seconds or something in the pro class. And I was like, well, okay, maybe, maybe this four-stroke thing's gonna be okay. And man, just I like to tinker and I, I always was trying to make the bike better, better, better. And my wife would always get on my ass. She's like, quit messing with the suspension and quit messing with it and just go race it. And I couldn't, I just, I was constantly trying to make it better. And I just, I fought the four stroke all year. And I don't know if it got in my head or, or what, but I just, I know the weight difference from the 450 to the 250. I had to work harder. So I had to work harder to make that 450 do what I could make my 250 do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it took more effort and I just never could, I never could conquer that 450 like I could my 250. And so it, it made my, it made it hard for me. It'd be great to take you back to that year with the knowledge level we have now of the four strokes, because yep. your whole mindset would have changed because you were just riding it wrong. You were just, you were trying to ride it like a two stroke. Oh, I, I was always, always, they give me hell. They're like, you're over revving. And I'm like, I can't help it. I always over revved and always clutched the 250 because that's what I had to do. And that's how the bike worked. Well, the four stroke didn't work like that, but I was still right. trying to ride it that way. Yep. And you're I right. like, I know. you know, did, did you ever hear the story about Doug Henry, how they taught him how to ride a four stroke? No. They turned his clutch levers up. Really? Yep. So he could use it to take off. But other than that, he couldn't use it because he was going through a clutch. He was going through the clutches like they were free. And and they were just like, no, that's not how you ride it. Well, see, I did the same thing. Um, I was I was hell on the clutch on the four stroke. And I got in um, with Patrick over at Recluse and uh, I did. Uh, a bunch of their clutch testing on their auto clutch stuff because he knew, you know, we ended up being good friends and he's like, dude, you're hell on a clutch. And I'm like, I know. And he's like, well, since you're so hard on a clutch, we want you to test like the Z star pro and some of these clutches because we need to see if there's weak points and, you know, if there's stuff that we can do to make them better. So I helped, you know, with a lot of the testing on the, the recluse clutch and, uh, yeah, that's that was the reason why is because I was just so used to that two stroke and fanning the clutch all the time that I was killing the four stroke clutches, and so I helped test a bunch of that stuff. So that was fun, you know. But yeah, we I never got into the recluse stuff. We never we always stayed conventional. Yeah, for you guys, I mean, what you're doing, I, I don't know that the recluse would have been beneficial. You know, I really like their torque drive. The the torque drive manual clutch is really tough. You know, we have some guys that have a lot of, you know, we have some guys that have clutch problems on the four stroke. And when we put them over to the, the torque drive with the extra plates and stuff, it, it like normally solves all those problems. So it's, uh, you know, yeah, uh, I get it. It's just never something that, that uh, I've ever tried to uh, right. work towards, you know, and you know, it's just, it, Everybody, every builder has their own soup. Right. You know, with changing in the different styles of riding, I got spoiled with Eichner for so long. 
you know, because that guy could write anything he put under it. Right. And, and uh, he came from, no offense, Doug, he came from junk. Right. The quality stuff. And it took him a little while to adapt to the quality, to the quality machine. Right. Uh, yeah. When, once he did, um, he just got faster. Right. Yeah. So it was, it, it, it's a, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard deal. Um, when you were riding the two strokes, did, had, had they came out with the inserts for the tires yet? Mm. No, I know like none of the tire block stuff was out at the time that, that we were riding two strokes, maybe tire balls. Because no, you know what? Because no, it was after. Because I remember we was racing hell. Because back in '03, my last year on the two-stroke, because um, we ran like uh, Roush Creek and stuff like that. And hell, I remember we had probably s- that one race. I bet we had six or seven flats. But um, they would. Uh, we had to quick change studs, so we would have spare wheels and stuff and and the stud had you know the threads and then at the the last inch of stud was just um it was kind of pointy and no thread and then what we would do is we glued the lugs like we glued extra lugs to the spare tires right onto the where they would go you would just take and buzz the, the old tire off let the lugs fly off of it yank the wheel put the new wheel on it and it would automatically locate the lugs and then you just hit it with the impact four, you know, four lugs, bam, bam, bam. And you're gone. So I remember in 03, we were still changing tires then. So no, no, it, the, the run flat stuff came after we ended up switching the four stroke. That was, yeah, I think that that totally changed skill set riding. I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the run flat stuff. I mean, you're carrying, now we can carry faster speeds and stuff, the Creek beds and stuff like that. But you know, the, Damn it! The fun part, I felt like, you, you know, you only you had to have a good machine, you had to have a good rider, and you had to have a good pit crew. So now, like the pit crews are kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're good, but like, all you gotta do is gas and do goggles. Normally, you know, there's usually right. not much more has to be done. You know, so your pit crew they got to be quick on that kind of stuff, but. I don't know. It took some of the excitement out of racing when they, they came out with the run flat stuff. Uh, oh, totally. Because like in the desert, it's gas and go, gas and go. I if know. you're not having a gas yeah. and go day, you're not winning. Nope. I know. I kind of yeah, miss so, that. Um, it made it, made it much more interesting. It did. Um, I, I, you know, we started with the tire ball stuff, and the and the and the tire blocks, uh, working with Kenny at tire blocks came later. Um, mm-hmm. I still have, I would say, pluses and minuses for each product depending on which environment I'm going to, right. as to which one is to which one that I prefer to use at that given time. Right. And I remember that when we were going back east and talking to a lot of guys, they would buy those balls from the uh, Walmart. Y- yeah. Instead of buying tire balls, balls. yeah. Instead of buying tire balls, they were buying those and putting those in there. I think there's people still doing it. Ah, yeah, I'm pretty sure there are. 
<laughs> yeah, we see it from time to time. Yeah, uh, Johnny Gallagher's dad was telling me stories about it when we were back there at a Polaris yeah. intro. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. So some of the things that that come about when you when you talk about it and when you do those things, it's it's pretty crazy. It is. It really is. It's changed a lot, man. Changed a lot. Evolution, you know, evolution yeah. has uh, really, you know, you, you see the logo behind me for GPR. I know you were, were a GPR yeah. guy for a long time. Long um, time. Have you seen the new stuff that he's put out? I haven't. No, not not in a while. No, it's been it's been quite a while since I've talked to Ralph and Randy and them. Ralph's um, older now and, and having some medical. Uh, um, he, he got injured. Um, uh, stepping out of the trailer in a dark parking lot, he stepped into a hole, uh, broke his leg. And it's uh, just, you know, at, at that age, it just, it, it caused some issues. Um, right. still pretty coherent for the most part, uh, from what Randy tells me, I haven't talked to Ralph in a, you know, in a while, but, um, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Norman is still pretty with it and, and, and good. Um, but Randy pretty much runs everything now. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever get a chance, if you ever get a chance, look at the new one because okay. it's, they've totally changed the way they do it. Um, and I say, I can't say totally. They refined the uh, mounting system, but the mm -hmm. dampener they use is so much more durable. Oh my gosh. Um, they got rid of the old vein system and went to a, um, a different kind of vein and it, and it, and it has six or eight screws that hold the vein in on the bottom. Yeah. You know, and it's bigger, more like if you were familiar with any of their street bike stuff, yeah. it was more of a, of one of those designs, um, better housing. I mean, it's just, it, the whole thing's lighter and it just works right. way, way, way better. Granted, I'm biased. Everybody knows I'm a GPR guy and I'm not going to switch. I'm going to run that regardless. Um, right. Because I've had great success with them. Oh, absolutely. They sponsor me for years and years and years. Yeah. They've always been good to me. Randy's asked about you a couple of times. Really? I need to call them. I, I, I need to I need to call down there and talk to them. It's been a while. Yeah, he's uh, he's a little more he's a little more like Ralph, a little more grumpy now because he's running the show and and, and busy. You know, you know, Ralph was this Ralph was actually one of the nicest guys in the world once you got past the growl. Yeah, as soon as you got past the growl, he was purring like a kitten. You know, and, oh. and super nice. He would, I would, dude, I would get like random texts from him, like just out of the blue. Hey, how are you doing? And like he was always so good to me, and I mean, we would see him at the dealer show up in the Indy when they had that, and and we would hang out and talk for hours, you know. And just they've always been such a good family, man. And I, I hate, I damn, I, I hate that you told me that he's he's not doing as good as he was because damn, he was always he was always after it, you know. Every time I seen him, he was busy doing something. I think he's eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah. You know, I haven't talked to Randy in a couple of weeks, um, but yeah, I think he's eighty nine. Because my pops I'm, is eighty. My pops is eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yep. 
damn, that's, that's a good life. Still working in the shop, still running machines, still building things. Not at the same pace, but still doing right. it. That's why I still go. That's why I still alive. Oh I yeah. Think. So I was screwing off, setting up a set of hubs for a for a two fifty R, and I freaking had just a total brain fade on bolting the rotor on and snapped mm-hmm. a bolt off. Ah. You know, and I didn't have time to mess with it. And I just called dad and I go, Hey, you think you could come and take this out? So he come, he comes by the shop, picks it up from me and and takes it, brings it home so that he can work on it on his machine at home. <laughs> and right. I don't think he was gone, but you know, 30, 40 minutes. And he comes back and he's got that shit eating grin on his face. You know, and I'm like, okay, what's the deal? And he hands me the part and I ask him, so how long did it take you? And he goes, eh, four or five minutes. Took me longer to set it up than anything. <laughs> That's so funny. That's awesome though. Oh yeah. Uh, you, the touch that you have to take things out like that, it's such a learned skill and uh, not many of us have it. I mean, I struggle. He tries to teach me and, you know, we're, we're too impatient. He's super patient, yeah. you know? Yeah. I got, I got a guy at the shop right now. Uh, James, uh, we, we all call him. Everybody knows him by the mad scientist, but he's the same way, man. We, if anybody in the shop breaks off a bolt or something, or it's a complicated bolt or something like that, that's broke off. It's like, Hey, James, get over here. And he'll come over and he'll look at it and, He'll go get his stuff out, and a couple minutes later, boom, he's got it fixed, and everything's out, ready to rock and roll again. I'm like, damn, how do you do that? And it's just, but he has that that knack to where he can just he can do it like no problem. Where I'm going to go and I'm going to fight with that. So it's just better for me just to let him do it, and I'll go do something else. <laughs> which which pops tells me over time, take your time, relax. When you're, it's like when you're putting a time cert in or anything like that. You need yes. to take a step back, relax, and do it right, and 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 take that time because if you don't, yeah. you're gonna have a problem, and yep. and you're gonna have to all that time you think you gained you lost because you got to right. do the job again. Right. Yep. Yeah. Jeez. So it's it's it, it's pretty amazing some of this stuff that we get to to learn. You know. Oh yeah. I wish I would have paid more attention to some of the machining portions of it. Um, right. You know, uh, we have a, a CNC Tormac, which is like a, it's like a home CNC mill. Right. And it didn't, he didn't buy the fourth axis piece with it mainly because he's cheap. Love him <laughs> right. to death, but he's cheap. You know, old, you know, you get older, you get cheap. Yeah. He built it. He built the fourth axis portion to his mill himself. Dang. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, wow, that's, I didn't understand what he was building at first. And when he got all done, I was like, okay, now I get it. Wow. That's It totally changes all those things that he wants to build. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Do you guys have a machine shop in, in your shop? Not a whole lot. Um, some of the stuff I actually have, a, we have a place right 
like literally practically right down the road that does some of our machining for us. So it's kind of, I don't have the manpower. I mean, we, we have, it's four of us right now. And, but everybody's so busy doing all their stuff that we don't have, I don't have any machine guys. So it's, it's kind of hard for us to, to do that. We've been wanting to bring some of that in house, but I just, just haven't, I just haven't done it yet. Right. Right. I totally get it. Totally get it. That's, that's it's hard. We right. were fortunate that, that, you know, pop started us that way. You know, we never wow. went out and bought all the CNC machines like we should have, but I know. the conventional stuff, you know, I think we have three or four mills and a couple, you know, two or three lathes and, uh, you know, boring bars and all that stuff. And right. all, all of it's, all of it gets used every week. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we do the guy. I mean, some of the guys have been on me, you know, like, we need to get this stuff. And I, I know I'm like, I know, I know I'm, I'm trying, I'm working to it, you know, but I just haven't got it all done yet. We just recently moved you know, Well, I say recently it's been about a year now we moved into a bigger shop and so now we have the room. It's just, you know, we're getting a, you know, trying to get some, get some other machinery and stuff that we need. And, you know, you know, cause always you try to add on and, and get some of this nicer stuff so you can give customers better quality and, and stuff. And then when you do more stuff in house, obviously you have a little more control on, you know, turnaround time and stuff like that, getting stuff back out to the customers quicker. So. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal is, is turnaround time. And it seems like ever since all this, you know, super cold thing that went around where we all couldn't work for a while, well, right. I didn't, I didn't miss a day. I, you probably didn't either. Oh, we didn't, we never closed. Never. Nope. Like we kept rolling. Like we, like nothing ever happened. Same here, you know? Um, but the workforce changed in all of our supply houses. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what it's like. You get most of your parts from Yamaha on the East coast. Well, on the West coast, they're like on still on vacation. Yeah, I know. It's horrible. Yeah, there's yeah, there's been a lot of stuff that we've had a hard time getting. You know, and and the nice thing is though, the one that is not really nice, but the nice thing is I've noticed though people understand. You know, yep. if you tell them, hey, look, you know, it's gonna be six to eight weeks before we get these shocks or whatever, they're like, okay, they they understand, they know they're gonna have to wait. So people have adapted to it. But I'm gonna tell you, man, it's uh it has it's changed a lot of things and you know, and, and now you got people that, that it seems like a lot of people now don't want to work either. You know, they had that, that COVID break where they're not, you know, working and all that. And they were like, Oh, this is nice. And now it's like, Hey, you know, we're going to go back to work or what are we going to do? You know? So the, the people that worked through, through all of this are still working and the ones that took it off don't want to come back. Yeah. I get it. So, I know. I was, I was talking to somebody, uh, dude, you're talking, it's Lauren and I, I know. I don't see, I was sitting there thinking that, you know, cause I knew we were going to have this tonight and I was thinking about you guys. And I knew one, one of our previous conversations, you said it was just you and him. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, there's, it's me and three other guys, you know, at the shop now. And I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world do you guys do it? Just you two. Sure. I'm like, my God. Um, well, I, I, to elaborate a little bit, we have 
you might, you know, you, we got dad, he comes in and helps a little. Um, and we have Lauren's daughter and son that help a little bit, you know, where they may, you may get them for a couple hours, one day a week, you know, uh, right. just to, just to ease some pain on organization of papers and debt, you know, filing the, the, the paperwork for specific jobs or making the job folders. Um, and, you know, I have a couple other people that are part-timers that, that help with specific things, but for the most part, it, it, Lauren and I touch everything. Wow. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, we touch everything. I, I ship, I, um, and the guy putting the motor back in and doing the final prep and tuning it and sending it out the door. Um, yeah. You know, if you're building a, a complete bike, like a complete restoration, um, he touches his portion and I do my portion and I do the full assembly and then the testing. And, um, yeah, that's just, that's just how we do it. Wow. That's impressive to get all that done to see you guys. Um, we do, we still do a high volume, um, yeah. it, but it's hard. It's getting harder. I know it's hard. It's it's getting it's getting harder, uh, a because of the lag time of the parts and b because we're older, right? I know it's hard to work. I've noticed the older I get, it's it's harder to work the hours I used to work. Yeah, I I can't do the fifteens or the eighteens. Right, I can do a twelve, no problem. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, and I can do that. I could probably do that five days a week and then the sixth and seventh day they're anywhere from six to eight hours. As long as I don't overdo that, then I'm okay for the start of the next week. Yeah. But uh, you know, but I am older in it and there are days you're like, you know, it's just not going to happen today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that engine, that engine, that engine ain't coming out of that chassis today. Right. This ain't happening. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Man, it's a real pleasure to catch up with you. There's so many things that, that there's so many more things that we didn't talk about that we needed to. We didn't get into some of the old history that I that I really wanted to um, because you were around in an era of the change you did ride a lot in the 250R area era. And, and I really wanted to get into some of that 250R, the old school stuff where you raced with all those guys. Um, because it, I'm not saying it's not a stacked field now because there's some fast guys, but right. you raced with a group of people that were, 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 were damn fast. Oh, dude, it was tough, man. It was on any given day, you know, we were, we were all battling and, I mean, you had Gallagher, which is still there today, and you know, Balance and Forts and Smiley and Coonley and oh my God, um, oh gosh, I man, there was, you know, you said Page, and we had Page, and there was just so many that was so fast and had so much talent, and had, and they all had good bikes, and then you had the other guys that they were up there and they didn't have good bikes. And it's like, Oh my God, if they had, you know, the roll designs and stuff like we had, man, they would be a force to be reckoned with too, you know? And, uh, man, that was, uh, it was stacked, you know? And like you said too, it was, it was technical and gnarly, you know, it, you didn't have just all wide open tracks, you know, back then. I mean, we were going across nasty rock stuff and not saying the stuff's not tough now, 
you know, but it was, you know, back when we raced, it was, it was hard. Well, when you hear the stories, you know, when Bob used to tell me that uh, he's out there watching him, you know, cut the trail with a chainsaw and a freaking machete the, the day before the race or a couple of days before the race. And you're just scratching your head that, that he cut them in. And it was just barely white enough to get through there. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, you squeeze through some of that stuff, beating and banging, like to get through it and making your way through. And yeah, it was definitely a lot more raw back then than what it is now. Well, you now can almost run a little, them. you can almost ride a little wider of a machine now, can't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, do, do you guys go ahead? I'm sorry. There, there's people riding uh, the, the new Yamaha, the, the 450R um, at the stock width on them things and getting through the trails, especially at the nationals. I mean, they're, they're pretty wide, you know? How many local series are around you for the, for the cross country stuff? We have one, really just one main ATV cross country series. That was that mid East series. They got a a 16 race series um, every year that they do. And it starts up the weekend before the GNCC and, you know, it ends like a couple weeks after the GNCC. So it, it goes for a while. But then there's a lot of other stuff. I mean, you have um, up in Indiana, you have IXCR and Crossroads. I mean, it, there's there's tons of cross-country series stuff. You know, the and that was a weird thing. Like, back when I raced, too, every weekend you could find either a cross-country race or a motocross race to go to. There was always stuff. The motocross stuff fell way off um, for some reason, and I don't know why, and I don't know if maybe you can shed some light on on what happened there, but like even ATV national motocross has not been what it used to be. The tracks closed. Why though? Why did all these tracks, like a lot of tracks around, a lot of MX tracks around here closed and I don't get why. Liability. uh, They want, they were in great places to put houses. You know, I mean, there's a number of different reasons. I would have to probably say some of it is, is um, insurance and liability. And everybody gets gets too happy. If you would have asked me, you know, years ago, you know, what, what would your outlook be in 10 years? And I I would have, I would have thought, you know, I would have, I actually always thought I'm like, you know what? Cross country will be the first to ever go away. And motocross would be like always superior because motocross was such a spectator friendly sport. You can, you, you could go show up at a motocross race and, you can see the whole race. You can sit there and you know the stands and see practically the whole race. Whereas the cross country wasn't as spectator friendly, you know. So I was like, well, hell, motocross is always going to be bigger. But then it 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 ended up not being that way. It's like it's I feel like the cross country is so much stronger than the MX right now. Good old boys. Yeah, good old boys can go ride a cross country race with their friends, and it's one day. You're in, you're out. You don't have to be the fastest guy in the world to race a right. cross country race. You got to be able to hold on for your two hours. Um, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, some guys can race stock bikes. There's classes yeah, for true. all levels. And I think it's um, more of a 
I'm not saying that the motocross isn't a family environment, but the environment you have with the GNCC people is not the same environment that you have with the motocross people. No, I know. I've, I've been at both and you're right. Like the cross country is like, everybody's like a big family. You know, it's like, Oh, I need something. Well, hell you can go over there and ask probably the guy right down the pips from you. Hey, you got this. And Oh yeah, I have this. And they'll loan it to you right then and there. You know, the, I noticed like the motocross guys aren't, they're not always that friendly there. You know, when I was back in, in, at Briarcliff, the people were so warm and inviting. Um, I, I was, I was taken back by how awesome it was. And I haven't got to go to a GNCC race in quite a while. Um, right. I want to, I want to, I want to go back and do a press conference back there, but I have to uh, get some permission. There's some other, there's some other things that, that not everybody knows about that you have to do to make that happen. Um, and I would, I would love to do it. It's a finances. So if anybody's listening to this, that, that knows, um, you know, I always need financial help to, to get back East to, to right. talk and cover. Um, but it would be so awesome to go. And, and I just know that the crowd from the morning race to the afternoon race, by the way, I've been treated by some of the guys that I've, I've never met face to face. Uh, but they've just been so nice uh, to talk to. Oh yeah, um, you know Johnny Gallagher, Walker Fowler. You know those guys are those guys will talk to anybody. Uh, but uh, Austin Absolutely. Abney, uh, Cody Collier, yep. these guys have just went out of their way to be super nice. And uh, Cody, I could call him right now, and he'd probably talk. Um, right, and it's a lot of fun because. He used to be a sport quad guy. Now he's a four by four guy and, and, and he's just, he's four by four champion. He's just, it's awesome. Um, right. Matter of fact, I'm right. going to have to call him up and talk to him about that because uh, he was, I was texting back and forth that the season was coming to an end, you know, and I was, I was, you know, giving him a shout out, uh, you know, on dude, it's getting closer. You're doing great. You're doing great. Just keep it up. And um, yeah, he had a great season for sure. Hands down. He oh Yeah. Landon Wolf, Landon wanted to come on the show. He, his schedule just doesn't allow it. Um, yeah, but I'll get him eventually, you know, and 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 talk to him because he he's a super. To this morning. Oh, really? Well, you need to kick him in the shin. Yeah, Landon come by. And, yeah, I could have. I yeah, he he come by this morning and and done some stuff, and then he's headed back home now. But, but well, yeah. when you see him, you freaking tell him, hey. You need to take care of this because I enjoyed, I had him on, I had him on one of the, the live shows that I did and he was, you know, just super, super knowledgeable, super great guy to talk to. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, all of them are, and, and they you, are. you talk to, to the works guys that I get to talk to. Um, they're, they're actually elevating their game. I think almost um, they didn't need it, but it helped them. The East coast guys coming out. Yeah. Gave him some yeah. validity. And, you know, when you get an East Coast guy like Max Lindquist come off the track and go, God, that was fun. I've got to do it again. And right. it just kicked it just kicked my butt, but I got to do it again. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I actually came out and done a works race um, in Arizona. And, man, I'm going to tell you, if I could have been able to afford to run that whole series, I would. It, I, it was, I love that style, too, just letting it all hang out. 
and you know you'll you'll run a desert section for a while then all of a sudden you'll hop onto the motocross track and just you know send it and stuff and man that was like god i enjoyed that that was i had a ball out there what year did you get to race oh my god it was i rode it i know it's crazy i it was it was a year god i can't i raced the can i rode uh ds uh the can am ds 450 is what i rode mm-hmm. and i had one uh, we come out there and race and for life of me i cannot remember what year that was but we ran one of the arizona rounds and damn it was so much fun i just remember it was a lot of fun and i had a motocross track in it and that's all i can remember <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome. Yeah. I quit. I quit traveling all to all of them. Um, actually, I, in 2019 was my last full season. Um, I dabbled a little in 20, um, a little in 21, and uh, probably it, it's going to take it's going to take something special to get me back. Yeah, I mean, once you lose the, I don't even know what you want to call it but it's kind of like stopping racing. Right. Once you lose the, the, the road legs, um, they don't, they don't come back. No, I know. And, and I miss it. You know, it, it, I know when it's race day. Yeah. You know, and and I have to preoccupy myself with something else because it's, you get a little fidgety and little, you get to still get a little, little nervous. Um, but you're not there. It's not, there's nothing you can do. You know, somebody calls you with a problem there. You can't help because you're, you're not there. No, I know. And that's where I'm a little different as I, you know, cause we still, I go to every round of GNCC. So Mm -hmm. I'm there at every single round helping people and stuff. So, you know, I enjoy watching, damn, I still miss being out there, you know, competing on the line and stuff. That's, you'll never replace that. You know, we'll, we never will, no matter what we do. We get on a four wheel drive and go out racing the four wheel drive class in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I like the four wheel drive, but I, the four fifty you can't jump the four wheel drive like you can a four fifty and throw it around. And it just what the the four wheel drive didn't really suit my style. We do. Dude, you need, of, to, you need to talk to Landon because they he freaking Landon and Cody. Um, and I I apologize. I forgot the other gentleman's name. Those guys freaking throttle those. I can't believe how oh, yeah. well they ride them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Hayden Mickelson, he's another one. We we build all yeah, his stuff. Yeah, that's him. Yep, we we do all his stuff, and we're actually building a brand new one for him for 2023 20, now. So, um, But, uh, yeah, those guys, they can ride. It's impressive to really yeah, be there and watch them ride. That big of a machine, yes. that heavy, and, and, and they're and – they're, they, uh, Cody said something about you're not using the same type of body English that you do on a sport quad, no. but you are still having to move it. And right. you have to learn, you have to learn how to use your leverage to get it to move it, especially at a high rate of speed. Right. It's impressive. I'm telling you, if you've seen them race that thing in person and you stand there and watch them come through and do some of the things they do on those, on those it's very impressive. Like, oh, very impressive. I became a fan over the last couple of years. I got to spend some time talking to Mike Penland and whether you like him or hate him or whatever, that dude is super knowledgeable. 
super down to earth. And, and if you, it, it, I mean, if you get a chance to really talk to him, he is smart guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's been around for a long time. Oh, didn't he's done some stuff that I never knew that he did motor stuff and, yeah. and, 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 and oh, basically oh, changed the configuration of the engine to suit what they wanted to do with it. You know, got the Kawasaki guys uh, involved in doing some, some engine development changes, things like that. I mean, it's, it, it, he's pretty awesome guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, it's, it, it, we we have we have been blessed to be be involved in an industry and have the time to do the things that we've gotten to do that the normal people don't even get it. No, and that's man, that's the thing. Like you said, it's we've had so many opportunities that we never would have had if I was in another industry. I mean, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff for uh, Jason Stewart and, and action off road and stuff. And uh, we build um, like his Baja side-by-sides and all We We go out and, you know, he flew us out and, you know, we went out to Mexico and ran to Baja and, you know, it's damn, like that's a, that's a hell of a, trip and an experience you know if you've never got to to go down that that i mean it's it's something i recommend anybody that ever had the chance to go to go because i mean we would have never got to experience that if it wasn't for for jason and 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 being in this industry and you know that was uh man it was so much fun and you know and i think we're going back again soon you know we're building a new car and stuff like that for them and um so yeah i mean we've gotten a lot of opportunities that we never would have gotten if i wasn't in this industry so you know it's are we getting rich no but damn we're sure you know we're having a lot of fun doing it though well i i said something to somebody the other day that you know i got a lot of stories to tell and if i could make money telling those stories i would because the industry or the times didn't pay you know, uh, what, what normal people would call a normal living. Right. Right. You're very, very true. You know, I mean, I made, I made some good money on some of the things that I got to go do, but the other right. stuff you did it for free, basically. No, right. Because, and I did it to, uh, the same way. It's like, I, you know, I wanted like the experience was worth plenty. You know what I'm saying? To get to do Y'all something. Do. This I do. I do, you know, chasing, chasing your machine from, uh, Ensenada to, you know, Cabo San Lucas and spending oh, a day or God. two down there. Um, yeah, that's priceless. Priceless that uh, most people are never going to get to experience, but you know, we got to experience that. You know, and most, and that, most people that don't live on the West coast are never going to experience it. No, no. So yeah, yeah, we've definitely been blessed to be in this industry. That's for sure. Exactly. Hey, Santo, I want to thank you so much for spending some time. I know that I chased you for a while and, and pestered you and pestered you to come on the show. Um, but I really appreciate it. And I, I know there's so many things that we didn't talk about. So I want to extend the invitation that at some point to bring you back and, and we can cover some of the things that we didn't catch this time. Absolutely. I'd love to do it again. I've, I've actually really enjoyed it for sure. Well, I'm glad. That, that's the whole point. It's, 
<laughs> you didn't pester me. It's just like just stopping long enough to take time to do things. You know how it is. I mean, this life gets so busy, but you know, this was something that I wanted to do and I know you wanted to do it. And yeah, it's good for the industry. And it's, I think it's cool what you do and stuff like that. It's, it's very inspirational, you know, um, well, we need more it, of that. It's guys like you that, that help grow the sport and our relationship goes back almost 30 years and uh we don't get to talk every day but uh, it's pretty great that that the moment that you start talking it's like you was yesterday Uh, unreal like i was i'm not gonna lie i've never done this before and i was kind of a little nervous i told my wife you know before it started i'm like i'm kind of nervous and she's like you'll be okay you'll do fine and it's like you said like we got going on and it's like damn it just like flowed like no problem everything went perfectly easy and smooth and i was like well okay it's just, I tell everybody, it's just a conversation. Right. You know, we're not, I'm not, I don't interview anybody. I don't want to interview anybody. I want to have a conversation with you. Right. Right. No, it definitely makes it easier to do. I, I got to talk oh, to Brandon. I got to talk to Brandon Hogue. And let me tell you, that kid is off the charts intelligent. And he was talking about things. I understood the concept, but some of the, the, the tech words that he used, I have no idea what he was saying. I just understood that he was talking about, you know, measuring things that have to do with the body and everything. But, but for a young racer that young to know those things blew my mind. That's awesome though. That's good. Yeah, dude, they're, they're, it's totally different than when we were doing it and the things that we were talking about and the things that, how we were training, you know, you're, 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 Chad Weenan trains at that level. So does, uh, so does Walker and, you know, Bryson Neal, that kid. Uh, I mean, I can't wait to yeah. get a chance to talk to him because I have so many questions, but, um, such coming a good off, kid, man, I'm going to tell you, you'll enjoy that with Bryson. Ah, dude, I've been chasing him for over a year. Um, really? He's a good kid, man. When you get him, when you get him on, I mean, he's a, he's a good guy. And, you know, we helped him for there for a couple of years early in his career. And man, still to this day, like, you know, he, he's like, he'll always tell me, man, you, you're part of this, you know, you're no matter, even though you're not helping me now, he's like, you're still a part of my success today. And he's, I'm telling you, he's good kid, good family, man. And I, I, he, he put a hell of a ride in this year. He came off the couch from an injury yep. to a champion. And I was just blown away. Amazing. Kids in yeah, the first great shape. First ride of the year was incredible. Um, yep. Wow. I know. Because Walker, Walker led the lo- most laps. Yep. But Bryson got the most wins. Yep. He's fast, man, to watch him come from behind and catch up. Because I remember, I mean, usually if you're not up there towards the on the, you know, towards the front at the start, it's almost it was always almost impossible to catch the lead guy. But he's he's on that level to where now he can he can have a bad start and put his head down and push, and he can still catch, you know, the lead guy and put in a battle for the end of the race. And that's, you know, he's just, he's in that good of shape 
and he's on that level now. And he's going to be hard to beat next year for sure. You know, they're oh. everybody's going to have their hands full with him. You know, I got to talk to Walker, and uh, you know, he came out here to the West Coast, and he did uh, really well in the Invitational race, and then he went out and won the Works race, and I think winning that Works race rejuvenated him. Good. He was so excited. And he goes, yeah, we could start the season right now. I'm ready. Yeah. He's, he's definitely always been very good with, you know, his focus and, you know, he never let, did a lose always, did it bother him? Yeah. Bothered him. But like, he always used that as fuel for the next round, you know, and he never let it really get to him and get him down, you know? So you can never count Walker out ever. Cause he's always we'll battling. We'll see next year on how it, how it shapes up and, and, and shakes out for um, Walker and Bryce. And I think, uh, I think there's a couple of the young guys back there too, uh, that are going to Galato jr. Uh, Cole Richards, uh, Austin Abney. These guys are, you know, and I know I'm leaving guys out. Sorry, Adam McGill, uh, right. McClure, you know, Borch. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many guys. Josh Merritt. I think Josh Merritt just is missing one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, and he could launch to the front. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah, absolutely. They're they're all, they're all capable. You know, all of them. It's just finding that program and that certain thing that's going to put them on the level that they need to be on to to win. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. It's it's going to be exciting, twenty twenty three. I think so. I can't wait. <laughs> I I I am cautiously optimistic of who to pick as a winner on all three of the major series uh, because there's going to be some just new stuff coming and and uh, you know on the West Coast you got some young kids that are hungry and fast. You got Bo aging a little bit. You know, um, he, he's old enough to be some of their dads, um, right? You know, you have Bryson, who's just energized by winning a championship and Walker hungry to, to win it back. Um, and then yeah. you have the other guys that are like, hey, don't forget about us. Right. Um, and, and then you get to go to the motocross side where you have the eight time champ pissed that he lost his number one. Yeah. He's in the twilight of his career when he should be slowing down. And he's like, no, I want the number one back. And yeah. Petrick, who is just seething with, no, this is mine and I'm going to keep it. And I can name right. off four or five guys in the motocross that, that, um, dude, I wouldn't, I wouldn't shake a stick at any of them. I mean, you got Bryce Ford who just won the 10 grand and, and rode for team USA. Uh, I just mentioned Brandon Hogue, who's super smart. He's hungry. Max Lindquist has got, a, has got some stuff, you know, shaking down a tree to, 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 to ignite a fire and he could do it. You got the veteran in Restrelli. Yeah. Dude, at any given moment, he could do it. Nick Janus is no slouch. He's yeah. got some new fire under him this year. So, I mean, and then you have a whole bunch of young guys in the motocross that are coming up too that, that could surprise everybody. Uh, some right. new rookies that are coming. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great year for racing for sure, you know, and, like I said, there's going to be a lot of people up there battling and there's going to be a lot of people hungry. 
The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Duncan Tech International at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 